Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. Just a caution, if you feel unsafe at any time, please stop listening. You can come back anytime you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. On today's show, I have the lovely Whitley Rogers, founder of End the Stigma. I'm so happy to have a young person's voice on the podcast to speak to others who might be listening who can relate to her and her experiences. Whitley has her own podcast, In the Wake with Whitley, and is a certified life coach. Welcome to the show today, Whitley. I am so glad you are here to have a chat. Thank you for having me. It is truly an honor. As you know, this podcast is a safe space for women who have been hurt by some form of abuse in a relationship, for them to feel supported in the challenges that they face. Can you tell us a little bit about your own journey and about your mission to end the stigma around mental illness and around the whole subject of abuse? Yeah, sure. So when I was in high school, my very first relationship I had ever gotten into turned out to be a sexually and mentally abusive relationship. And I was with him for a span of close to two years. And so that was a lot of my high school experience. It was really dark and really heavy. And while I was in that abusive relationship, um, anxiety and depression manifested to an extreme. And so I was struggling with that on top of the abuse and all of that heaviness, you know, caused some suicidal ideation and attempts and high school just, it was a struggle. It was a really, really dark time because of that. But from the outside, no one had any idea. Outside of my household, no one knew the kind of pain I was in. I put on this mask, I put on this face, and I went to school. And I had isolated myself from a lot of my friends and family, but acquaintances and peers at school and social media followers had no idea. And I was posting pretty pictures that made my life seem perfect, that made my relationship seem perfect. And that was also heavy, having to put on this facade and pretending like I was fine when everything was actually crumbling in my life. And so fast forward after I cut my abuser out of my life and I was learning to love myself again and prioritize my mental health, I was just so sick of pretending. I was so sick of putting on that face. And so I decided 
as a part of my mental health journey to take off that mask and take off that filter on social media and start talking openly about the raw struggle that I had been experiencing. And so I started by sharing that I was struggling with anxiety and depression. And I called that um, a hashtag no filter story through the End the Stigma Foundation. And I had just shared this video talking about what I was going through. And then I just got this outpouring of love and support and so many people messaging me, sharing their stories, saying, me too, I'm going through the same thing. And it blew my mind because when I was going through the dark depths of that hell, I thought it was, I was all alone. I thought I was the only person in my world, in my circles that was struggling to that depth. And so hearing just dozens of people saying, I'm going through something so similar. It was like, how, how are we all experiencing this? But we're all just pretending like everything's fine. Um, It just kind of like blew my world. And from that moment, I just craved that vulnerability. I craved that authenticity and that rawness. And I just vowed to myself that I no longer would pretend, especially on social media. And so as I started understanding what I was going through, um, what I had gone through abuse-wise and uncovering that it was sexual abuse and that that was not a healthy relationship at all, I started to not only share my mental health journey, but I shared um, that I also was a survivor and same thing happened. I had so many women from high schoolers up until like 60 year old women coming to me saying the same thing has happened to me. I've gone through something similar. And again, I was just like, how is this happening to so many people in these huge numbers? And so I guess that's just where my passion for speaking up for these topics came from is through sharing my own story and then realizing how prevalent those things were. And so I started my own podcast so that I could continue telling my story and sharing other people's stories and just talking about these uncomfortable, stigmatized, taboo things. And then I became a co-founder of the End the Stigma Foundation, where I originally shared my hashtag no filter story. And that's a foundation focused on teens and opening up that conversation and, and bringing awareness to mental health and kind of giving teens the vocabulary to understand what they're going through. Um, and then also, again, sharing those stories so they know they're not alone. So, yeah, that's kind of, in a nutshell, where my journey has led me to. Absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> just, you know, I am just blown away by your courage for somebody so young to have the courage to speak up publicly about these types of issues that so often get left behind closed doors 
mm-hmm. and uh, not spoken of for fear and shame of what you are experiencing and mm-hmm. these types of um, emotions are the types of things that can hold a person back from seeking support and from actually verbalising what's actually going on for them. There's this huge vulnerability uh, in that space of um, of mental illness and also of being abused in which your instinctive response is to put up a wall of defence and try and protect yourself from further pain and further hurt and further trauma because it's already you're already so weighed down by those things that you know the natural reaction is to as I said, you know, have that shield up to just yeah. say, I'm, I, I can't take any more of this. So for you to come out and actually speak publicly about those things is absolutely extraordinary. It can be very difficult for people to just take that first step to confide in one person about what they have been through or what they are going through for fear that you will not be met with the sort of support that you actually need because perhaps that one person that you are wanting to understand you does not understand what you're going through therefore cannot provide you with the support which then just leaves you feeling more empty and more disillusioned about Mm -hmm. the struggles that you're actually going through and I know from what I've seen um, in what you have said that you needed to get through all of those difficult places and you needed to go through that process of getting through that really painful place and making yourself vulnerable to try different things, to try and work out what was going on and how were you going to be able to get on top of what was going on for you because you felt as though everything was out of your control yeah in terms of the way that you were feeling can you tell us a bit about you know that part of your journey so that we can talk about ending the stigma with mental illness because that's where it started for you, I believe, in that you came to those realisations that those feelings of anxiety and depression were weighing down on you to the point where it was stopping you from engaging in life and from functioning normally day to day. Can you just chat about that with us, please, yeah. Whitley? 
Yes. So definitely with mental illness, your brain is tricking you. Your brain is lying to you, feeding these stories and these narratives that you are a burden and you are not loved and you're not needed and just all of these statements and these stories and verbalizing them and actually asking for help or, you know, like telling someone I'm having intrusive thoughts, I'm having suicidal thoughts, or I'm feeling like I'm a burden. And just asking for that, for a listening ear or someone to validate you in that pain or affirm to the, to you that you are loved, you are needed, you aren't a burden, like we're here to support you. That was such a crucial thing that kept me alive, um, was just being able to rely on my support system, which is so much easier said than done because, again, you're having your brain feed you these narratives that that's like not even an option. But just in ending the stigma, I think that sharing your story and and talking openly about what it feels like and what it looks like is the biggest thing to help end that stigma because someone that has never experienced anxiety or depression or struggled with their mental health in any way may not know what it looks like or what it feels like. So by telling your story or telling your different experiences and what those feelings feel like to you or what your what thoughts go through your head just being able to like verbalize that and also having the knowledge to and then the language to describe what you're going through that's so empowering and again that helps end the stigma because you're educating others on like how to understand you and how to support you I know like my parents weren't given this manual on how to support a child that was struggling with anxiety and depression and so it was really trial and error for a while but I got to a place where I was able to tell them this is what I need in this moment if I'm having a panic attack I don't need you to swoop in and try to fix things I need you to hold me and help me breathe and calm down and really advocating for my own mental health um and teaching others how to support me because they had never been in that situation or they'd never felt that for themselves. And so they didn't necessarily know what to do. I feel like that is a huge thing that also creates these myths and these stigmas around mental health is because when you just don't know what to do, you make these assumptions about what it feels like or you know, if I were in that situation, I would just do this and this and this. But you don't know until you're actually in that situation. I just want to take a quick break to tell you about a little competition I am running at the moment to hopefully put a bit more sparkle into your day and help you feel special and valued. I believe every girl deserves 
a bit of sparkle power. So once a month, I'm giving away a gorgeous tiara to one lucky listener. Here's what you need to do to go into the draw. Just write a review on your favorite podcast app, paste it onto your Facebook stories and tag me, Sandy Johnston. Your reviews help other women find the podcast more easily, which means the absolute world to me. Okay, now back to today's episode. I was just thinking about you, what you said then about trusting yourself to know what it is that you actually needed Um, And I imagine, and, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that that was something that you learned as you were going through your journey with anxiety and depression. Um, I know from my own experience that I didn't necessarily know these things when they were happening to begin with but it was something that evolved over time because I became more aware of what was going on and I became more aware of what my triggers were and I became more aware of what worked and what didn't work for me so yes and it's really about getting curious about it and getting to know yourself because I had to ask those hard questions what triggers my anxiety what do I need in a moment of like a depressive episode and I also owe that big time to my therapist because I've been going to therapy for three years yeah three years now and she really taught me how to advocate for my own mental health I think for the first year or so when I was in that abusive relationship and heavily struggling with depression and anxiety, um, I was always seeking for the answers externally. I was looking for someone to save me from this pain, whether it be the abusive ex or my parents or my therapist or my teachers. I wanted someone to save me from that pain, but through going through that trial and error process, realizing that no one could save me and be my savior or my um, life raft, I realized I, I know what I need and I'm the only one that can do the inner work because I'm the only one that is in my mind and knows everything that I'm experiencing and I know in therapy for quite a long time, whenever she would ask me questions, my first response was always, I don't know. And she would (laughs) dig and she's like, you do know, you just need to sit with it. And then sure enough, I would have so many answers. And she's like, see, you do know what you need. You do know how you're feeling but you want someone to tell you the answers. You want that easy button. And so it's hard. It's hard work. Therapy is hard work and turning inward and in higher moments when you're not in those dark depths or you are maybe in a neutral, your baseline, 
thinking like what when I go to that low place again if I am in a panic attack what do I need at that moment what coping mechanisms can I utilize what things do I have in my back pocket that I can pull out so that I am prepared for when that does happen because when I'm in a panic attack and if I'm not prepared or know what works for me I'm not going to be thinking about that because I'm like in this irrational state of mind and I'm panicking and I'm hyperventilating or sobbing. And so if I have already thought through what I want to do in that moment, then it really can make or break how that situation goes. Or if I have had those conversations with loved ones around me that, hey, in this moment, if this happens, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. I would prefer that you respond in this way because this hasn't worked in the past. And um, I know that happened a lot with my dad. He was my, my rock during a lot of my big panic attacks. And he was definitely a fixer. And he would try to rationalize with me and come in and fix the problem. And we would just butt heads and get into arguments. And I would get so frustrated because I felt invalidated. And I felt like he was making me feel more crazy by trying to rationalize with me because in that moment, it feels real. It feels rational. So I had to kind of guide him into no longer trying to save things and no longer trying to like have a reasonable conversation with me but just like hold me and help me calm down and breathe or just listen to me like vent it out until I'm I've exhausted myself and I'm done like because this isn't this isn't working in the past and I need you to show up in this way Because what they think might be supportive, it might be doing more harm than helping. And so showing them what support looks like is the best thing you could do for yourself and the best thing you could do for them. Because like I said, they don't have a manual book. And so kind of giving them the answers like this is what I need. It again is just game changer. I love that. I, as a parent, I know that um, if I see that one of my children is suffering in some way, my natural instinct is to help them and to try and fix that problem for them and this is one of the greatest challenges that I think parents face is letting go those ties to their children to actually trust that their children have the strength within inside themselves and that these these skills are skills that they need to learn in order to become um, really grounded adults, you know. Um, yeah. And it, it is a super challenge and I can really relate to, you know, you saying that and mm-hmm. I think it, it takes a lot of maturity for you to be able to have those sorts of conversations with your parents and to be able to be that attuned to your own needs to be able to say 
I know you love me. I know I know that you, you want to help me, but mm-hmm. if you do this, it's going to hinder me. It's not going to help. So what I really need from you is X, Y, Z. Yeah. That is amazing. And that's <laughs> that is like you know, an adult conversation. And you know, that is such a great skill to offer to anybody to try and learn and cultivate that skill because it will stand them in such good stead in terms of being an empowered person throughout their lives and there's so much I identify with with the things that you are saying and um, as you said earlier that when you started speaking about the things which you have experienced and you were getting very very specific about what those experiences were then you had all of this amazing feedback from a multitude of people from all different demographics and um, and age groups and uh, saying, I relate to that. You know, that is so mm-hmm. similar to my own story. These are things that I have also experienced. And as you said, when we are in those moments, we feel so alone mm-hmm. and so disconnected from everybody else. And we feel so less than other people because of what we're going through and our perception that, mm-hmm. you know, that we're somehow failing for yeah. being, you know, going through these things. So there's so many, so many lessons there to be learned in terms of um, allowing ourselves the opportunity to grow from these really hard experiences and, the skills that we will gain from going through them that will actually benefit not just ourselves but benefit other people um if we could only sort of look through that lens every time we're faced with challenges like that to say there's going to be something amazing that I'm going to be able to take away from this yeah you may not be able to see it now yeah Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so psychological healing is a very personal journey. Can you share a bit about some of the things you have learned along the way, way which might have held you back from the healing process? Yes, yes. So a huge advocate for therapy. I love therapy. I have done both C- CBT therapy, which I've been doing for three years, but I also did EMDR therapy, which is a little bit more specific for trauma. And that it's a shorter um, time span. You're only going for a couple sessions, but basically you're able to process the trauma and process those memories and the triggers so that it doesn't affect you day to day. And how my therapist described it is like a really messy box that you have in your storage unit that's just overflowing with stuff. And that's like your trauma. It's just 
super messy. It's overflowing. You're tripping over stuff. It's just in the way of your life. But if you process that trauma and so you clean this box up, at first it gets messier before it gets cleaner because you're pulling everything out. And that's in EMDR. It it felt like I was reliving the trauma a little bit and it was really heavy and I really had to take care of myself post-therapy sessions. But then you start to pack it back in and tuck it away in your storage unit. And so it still exists. It's still there. The memory still exists. It's still going to probably affect you for the rest of your life, but it's no longer affecting your daily life. You're not seeing that box or pulling it out daily. And so tripping over it. Right, right. You're not having as many triggers. And so that was really amazing um, to go through EMDR and kind of process what had actually happened to me. Um, I also, in that process, really loved affirmations because I was having like nightmares and flashbacks, or I would just be super hyper vigilant if I would see the make of his car or mm. something that reminded me of him, or if I was going to a grocery store that was in our same area, like I was always looking over my shoulder and just super anxious. And so being able to put my hand on my heart and tell myself, I am safe. I am okay. I survived. I'm no longer in that relationship anymore. I'm not going to go back to that relationship. He can't hurt me anymore. He has no power over me. Like I'm taking my power back. Just being able to calm my senses and also talk to my subconscious so that I wasn't always hypervigilant. I know when I would have those different triggers or if something reminded me about him that day or I had an EMDR therapy session, my therapist told me that if any of that came up right before I go to bed to write those affirmations in my journal, I am safe, Mm. I am, I survived, I'm no longer in that relationship, I'm taking my power back, and right before you go to bed. So basically you're telling your subconscious these things. I'm safe. I'm not in that relationship. So, and it, it blew my mind that it actually worked that I, if I was able to do that, I didn't have nightmares about him. I didn't have nightmares that I was back in the relationship. And so with therapy, with those affirmations, I feel like I, I did a lot of healing on a subconscious level where I was just able to affirm to myself and kind of stop that fight or flight because I was like, I'm not in this relationship anymore. I don't have to survive anymore. I can move out of that survival mode into actually thriving and like take my power back. Um, And then also just like telling my story And speaking to other survivors, being in these communities and these support groups where I felt validated and where I felt empowered or I got glimpses of hope with people 
survivors that were farther along in their healing process, or they were in a healthy relationship, I saw that is possible. That is possible for me. I can be loved. I can be in a healthy relationship and I'm not broken. I'm not damaged goods. Like that is a possibility. And so it was just really validating and empowering and filled me with hope to be in those communities with other survivors and to share my story and to also be validated by other people's stories. And then also, I mean, I just educating myself. I that's how I kind of realized I was in an abusive relationship is reading books and listening to podcasts and following survivors on social media or different foundations. And as I read those books and I listened to those podcasts, it was just like checkbox after checkbox. And I was like, okay, so this was real. I wasn't making this up. I'm not crazy. This, this did happen to me and this happens to a lot of people. And so this makes sense. And so just educating myself helped me process my trauma and helped me again, put language and vocabulary to my experiences. So yeah, all of that kind of was a huge thing in my healing process. Yeah, well, it's, you're certainly setting a great example for other people to follow in saying, don't close yourself off and yeah. think that there is no hope for things to get better. There is support be open to getting some support be open to exploring counseling be open to exploring therapy connect as much as you can with people who have a shared experience and have been through what you're going through and stay with it really look for people who are a few steps ahead of you so you can see what is possible for you in the future so yeah this is absolutely brilliant advice and I'm so glad that you did not close the door and keep yourself from moving forward in your life because your life is only just beginning Mm -hmm. and you have a very bright and beautiful future ahead of you thank you I'm just you know like I think you know the work that you are doing is such a gift and it's so incredibly important and as you said it you're not just speaking to to women who are your age group you you know of course you know I love that you are young and you are able to speak directly to those young people who are just at the beginning of their life and have maybe experienced the same thing that you have and they can relate to it and say no what's happening Mm -hmm. to me is not okay and I don't have to put up with this I can choose something different I deserve to be treated better than the way I'm being treated in this relationship life is long for you and you know if you learn these 
important lessons now at this age in your life, then you have so much scope to build a healthy relationship with somebody in the future that, you know, will be sustainable for you and will be an opportunity for both you and your partner to grow as individuals and um, I just I'm so pleased that you've done all of this work now because it just means that your future is bright and yeah I'm so glad that you are sharing sharing this with um, with women in your age group in particular. A quick question Do you ever wish you had more confidence to work through conflicts in your relationship? And do you wish that you had the courage to face the things that are holding you back? Or have you left the relationship and you just don't know how to start piecing your life back together again? Do you feel like it's impossible to have something better? Now, I'm not talking about putting your safety at risk to achieve a better life. I am talking about putting your safety first and doing the things you need to do to achieve the things you deserve. Maybe you're afraid that help and support is out of your reach. I know this feeling. I used to feel this way too. That's why I wanted to make things super easy for you. So I've put together a couple of offers to help you get started. You can access these offers easily by going to www.sandyj.com.au. The first offer is a free guide with five tips to gain confidence and courage to deal with the tough stuff. If you are feeling confused and scared about how to move forward, this guide is a great resource to help you get started. The second offer is a discovery call, which is my gift to you, which was just for the month of November, but I wanted to extend this offer all through December and January as I know the holiday season can be an especially challenging time of the year where people need extra support. This is also the time when many of us ask ourselves if it's time for something better, if it's time for something more than what we currently have. To give you an idea of what to expect in this call, we have a chat about where you're at, what you are struggling with and what solution you are looking for. I want you to have useful tips you can implement in your life today to help you get started on the road to recovering control over your life and your choices. How's that sound? Now, back to today's show. If it's okay, Whitley, and you're welcome to say no if you're not comfortable with this, but would you be okay with just talking a little bit about your experience in that relationship that you learnt later on was not okay? Yeah. Do you mind running through some of those red flags so that listeners can help hopefully identify with some of those things? Yeah, yeah, of course. 
And thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate it. So, like I said, I was so young. I was in high school and this was my first relationship. And so I think he really took advantage of that and tried to almost be my my teacher and shape my beliefs around what was a good relationship or what it meant to be in a relationship. He was always trying to define that for me um, and tell me like, if you loved me, you would do this or like, this is an act of love or this is what you're supposed to do as a girlfriend. This is what you're supposed to do when you're in a relationship when really those things weren't that healthy. Um, And I was 15 when he started pursuing me right out of my freshman year of high school, and he was a grade older than me, and we actually knew each other from church, and I mentioned that for a few reasons. I have since um, distanced myself from that religion entirely, but for purpose of my story, we knew each other through our church community. And so I was coming from the background, we were both coming from the background that you weren't supposed to have sex before marriage. You know, that was a sin. And it was a sin close to murder. Like, it was serious stuff. Um, And so I was coming from this very conservative religious background where sex wasn't talked about. And healthy sexual relationships weren't talked about. Consent wasn't talked about because they just expected you to stay abstinent. And so they weren't teaching you consent and healthy boundaries and healthy relationships and warning signs. And um, I, I knew of the word rape and I knew of abuse but I didn't know what that actually looked like. I didn't know the warning signs. I didn't know, you know, if that happened to me, what do I do? And so I just wasn't equipped with any of the education or the language or the understanding of any of these things to go into a relationship. And so then the other reason I mentioned that we were in a, um, we were in the same church group is because he by the book seemed like the perfect boyfriend, Mm. the perfect kid. Mm. He was a straight A student. He was a really talented piano player. He was a prominent member in our church community. He was loved by all of the parents and all of the teachers and all of the girls. And he was just a very charismatic, popular, charming kid. And so like, getting into a relationship with him, your parents think he's great because he looks the part and he looks like he should be a good boyfriend or a good person. And And so they trust, they trust him with you. Yeah. Yes. And he's coming from our church background. And so you think that he has the same standards and the same values as you. And so just expecting for that to be truth, like I didn't know any different. I didn't know that there were, you know, narcissistic people. I didn't know that there were 
people, wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing, or people that would um, take advantage of you and your vulnerabilities. I thought that I was safe with him. And so, yeah, just some warning signs. He started to isolate me and it was, it wasn't, I guess I, I didn't realize it at the time because he was almost forcing me to isolate myself by the emotional abuse and the manipulation. So like I had a best friend at, at the time and I had a good friend group with guys and girls. But if I were to choose to hang out with them, he would blow up. He would get so angry about that where he would become really jealous or just ignore me altogether if I wanted to hang out or spend time with anyone else. But he was allowed to hang out with his friend group. Saturdays were for the boys and that was fine. But if I hung out with someone while he was gone hanging out with his friends, like that wasn't okay. So he, he wanted this control over me. And he was telling me that, you know, being together 24 seven, seeing each other as much as possible, like that's what was necessary in a relationship when really it, it should be healthy that you have other relationships that you have maybe a best friend out of that relationship or just a friend group and and he was creating this environment where basically I had to choose and he's giving me all this love and attention and so I'm I'm gonna choose this because I feel generally good being around him I'm not getting that same kind of love or you know praise from my friends and so I just kind of stop taking those invitations to hang out with them to spare his anger. And then he's like pitting me against family members. I was close with my family. I was close with my little sister. We were best friends. I had a good relationship with my parents, but he would push for me to be super vulnerable with him in the beginning. And I wasn't really ready for that because I didn't think this was going to last so I was like I'm not gonna just let my guard down and then you leave but he was pushing and pushing and pushing to for me to be vulnerable to confide in him and tell him all my insecurities and then he later pit those insecurities against me um so it was really this like roller coaster of like building me up praising me making me feel like the most loved and adored girl in the world just to like take that away and ignore me or not acknowledge my presence or just break me down and say hurtful things or compare me to other people you know like really rub salt in all of my insecurities and my wounds and it was just this like constant roller coaster emotionally and like Again, that's not normal in a relationship. It should be pretty steady. You shouldn't be like fluctuating between like feeling so loved and then feeling like the scum of the earth. Um, but again, I didn't have anything to compare it to. I didn't, I didn't have any other relationship. And so he's just telling me this is normal. Um, let me think of some other warning signs. Probably the 
the sexual abuse, it was a lot of like coercion and again, manipulation. If you loved me, you would do this and, and the threats and the pressure and taking away any of my choice in the matter and taking away any of my, my agency feeling like I owed him and like he would was entitled yes like he would do these big grand gestures I mean the first time that he sexually assaulted me was Valentine's Day and so he did this big grand gesture this super romantic date and I'm a hopeless romantic so I loved it and it was a dream come true and it was like okay, I did this nice thing for you. Now you owe me sex when like, that's not how it should work. You should, you know, do those things out of love and do those things, not expecting something back like that necessarily. And so it was always that like, you owe me, you need to do this. If you love me, you need to do this because I just did this nice thing for you. And again, just making it feel like I didn't really have a choice in the in the matter. Like I think that is such a great, you know, example, a very good example of, of what it looks like. And I don't think you need to really go into further detail about, you know, that aspect of it. But just if if sex is not a mutual encounter where you're both you know happily engaging in it if yeah if the person has placed an expectation on you and you're not happy to or willing to do that thing because it's something that you want to do then it's being forced upon you mm-hmm. and, and that's a red flag and it's not on. It's just not on. If you know, if your partner or your boyfriend um, is placing those kinds of expectations on you, that is a huge red flag because you have a right um, to do whatever you want to do with your body, and um, nobody should be telling you that you need to put out for for them because well, that's I, just I think that's not on a good clarification that even if you're in a relationship even if you're married to this person still doesn't mean their body is I mean your body is theirs they don't own you they don't own your body and I I mean I always thought like sexual assault was just by a stranger in an alleyway I didn't realize that that could happen in a relationship in a long-term relationship or in a marriage but it absolutely can because again it is your body and you don't owe anyone and they don't own you and your body so they don't get to trump your personal agency and just do as they please just because you have that relationship status. Absolutely. If, you know, if you are engaged in sexual activity and you say, please stop, no, I don't want to do this, then that's that's all you need to say. It should stop. Mm -hmm. 
at that point. There should not be any more discussion about it. You should not need to plead for your position to not be engaging in any kind of sexual intercourse if it's something that you do not want to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's really, you know, this is where it begins. It begins because this this conversation, I'm really glad that we're talking about it because sex doesn't get talked about openly a lot of the time. And it's one of those really difficult conversations too for parents to have with their children because it's really awkward Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I had a very similar upbringing to yours Whitley so I can completely relate to what you're saying and um, I had those same expectations placed on me that um, I would not have sex until I was married and Mm -hmm. I was mingling with other Christians and with us all having the same um, belief system and understanding of that, you would think that, you know, the young people wouldn't be engaging in a lot of that, but there was complete opposite. It it really, really was. And I, I, you know, used to try and talk to my parents, you know, and say to them, this expectation that you're putting on us to not engage in sexual activity before we get married is completely unrealistic. You have got a bunch of raging hormones all coming together and you think that, you know, everybody's going to refrain from engaging in those sorts of things because they are expected not to have sex until marriage. Well, you know, that's just unrealistic. Yeah. yeah. And I almost feel like it created the opposite result by like shaming it and, and making this environment where that was so shameful and it just, that wasn't going to happen until you were married. It almost created this like suppression of sexuality and then to combat that this over sex sexualization or like going off the deep end totally rebelling on the opposite end instead of like a balance in the middle of like healthy sexual relations and I just feel like that much restriction and suppression and shame around it just did the opposite effect and again like coming from that shameful environment, like having, you know, the talk when you're 10 or 12 about bodies and how your body changes and periods and um, how babies are made, like covering all of this stuff when you're so young in one conversation, it just didn't equip me for an actual relationship years down the road. I feel like it needs to be constant conversations as you age and as you get into relationships to kind of help you understand what that might look like. 
Absolutely. And I, you know, will talk with my children quite openly about sex and about um, about them making sure that they don't do anything that they don't want to do sexually, yeah. that they're in control of their body and nobody should be telling them to do anything that they're not happily, you know, wanting to do themselves. So we have, you know, really, really some... Um, great conversations about it and even though some of those things can be quite awkward for <laughs> them they you know like oh my gosh you know I've got to hear this from my mother really <laughs> come on <laughs> but you know it's I would rather that they hear these things from me and understand that you know essentially um, they have to find their own path in terms of what a relationship looks like for them. But as long as they understand that there's honesty, that there's mutual respect and that, you know, they value that person and that person values them, then, you know, they're the sorts of things that they should be using as their guide and also to be safe in whatever, in whatever encounters they, um, they come across because, you know, with you're young, so this is a, a time where you're getting to know who you are and mm -hmm. it is time of exploration and um, to know, just be really have that sense of being strong in yourself and in your right to say no to things. I think it's really important for a young person to say, I can say no and that's okay. I don't yeah. have to, I don't have to say yes because um because if I don't, I might disappoint somebody, you mm -hmm. know, or I won't be yeah. pleasing them. And you know, if I say no, then maybe that's telling, sending them a message that I don't care about them. That's incorrect, but it's really yeah. good to understand that it's absolutely okay to say no, that you have that right and nobody should try and take that right away from you. Yeah, and consent education is huge, even without, outside of um, the terms of sex. Even when you're a super young child, you still need to understand consent and respecting other people's no's and realizing that you can say no just with personal space and hugs and kisses and sharing things, like being able to understand consent sex or no sex like that will set you up for all of your relationships in your life and so I think that is amazing that you're having those conversations with your kids and I think better go through the awkward conversations with your mom than not talking about it and then where are they going to learn things about relationships and sex media movies porn places that aren't portraying like realistic, healthy relationships. And, and so I just, I applaud you for that because that's, I think so necessary and amazing. Mm. 
Thank you, Whitley. I feel like I could just keep talking to you for hours on end. I, I know. I, I think we'll have to we'll have to revisit this conversation another time because I don't feel as though I've, you know, canvassed everything that I wanted to with you. But I think we're getting close to running out of time now. Um, <laughs> So, look, I, I think what I'll do now is I'll just ask you to please share any links that you would like for the listeners to um, help them to find you and connect yes. with you. Yes. So my name is spelled pretty uniquely. And so a lot of my social media platforms are just my first name. And same with my website. It's just Whitley.com. And my podcast is In the Wake with Whitley, and that is available on all podcasting apps, you know, Apple, iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all of them. And so, like I said, first name for all of my social media, I'm most active on Instagram, either at Whitley or In the Wake with Whitley, and then Facebook, Twitter. LinkedIn, all that stuff. Whitley or Whitley Rogers is where you can find me. Fantastic. I will include all the links in the episode notes so people can find you and your unique spelling of your <laughs> gorgeous name. Okay, my Thank dear. For the final question, because this podcast is the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, mm -hmm. what does this title mean to you as a woman? Oh, I love that. I feel like that encompasses everything it means to be human and alive it is the highs and the lows and the glamorous and the ugly. It is everything. Like I said, not putting on this facade that everything is perfect. I definitely have to fix my tiara sometimes because it falls when I'm in the lows. So I, I love the name. It's amazing. Thank you, Whitley Rogers. You are an absolute angel. And <laughs> I just want to um, encourage you to keep going with this all important work that you are doing. And um, I wish you all the very, very best for the future. I, as I said, I think you have a bright and beautiful future ahead of you. Thank you. Thank you. I absolutely loved that conversation with the remarkable Whitley Rogers. Before I go, I just want to leave you with the top 10 tips from today's episode. Number one, talking openly about what your anxiety or depression feels like and looks like is the biggest thing to help end that stigma. Number two, Try to advocate for your own mental health to help people help you the way that you need. Number three, keep in mind people who don't know what to do may make assumptions. Number four, get curious and ask yourself questions to help you respond to your needs when you are dealing with anxiety and depression. Number five, you are the only one who can do the inner work. 
Number six, when you are in a higher state or a neutral state, try and plan ahead for what you need if you become triggered. Number seven, if you process your trauma, it can help you to function better with day-to-day life. Number eight, writing affirmations in a journal before bedtime can speak to your subconscious. Here are a couple of suggestions of a few affirmations you could say. I am safe. I survived. I am no longer in that relationship anymore. He cannot hurt me. He has no power over me. All these things will help to calm you. Number nine, educate yourself by reading books, listening to podcasts such as this one, looking within social media groups to learn all you can about abuse and the red flags to look out for. Number 10, it's okay to say no. All right, that's it for this episode. We all go through dark times. When we do, we often feel alone. This is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel but when I turned a corner in my life the light started filtering through and I left my old life behind. I am here now to help other women feel seen, heard and valued. I'm reaching out with my light shining on you to help you find your way out of the darkness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. A note of encouragement. If you are struggling with your mental health, please reach out for support with some form of counselling. If you don't know where to start to find a counsellor, a good place to start is to talk with your doctor. There are also many online counselling supports available. And a word of advice, if the counsellor is not a good fit for you, try another And if you need to, try another until you have one that is the right fit for you. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow, hosted by me, Sandy J. This program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset, spells out how to spot the red flags, advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning, gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough, teaches empowerment strategies, acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on, to go from surviving to rising to striving and finally to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories 
and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen and be uplifted to rise in this safe space where dignity, kindness and compassion are treasured. And don't forget, if you need some support, I am here for you. I don't want any woman to suffer alone in silence. I don't want any woman to feel oppressed and feel that there is no way out. I want you to know that you can turn a corner. I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review. Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes to let other women know this is a show they can trust? It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show, please subscribe and you will automatically be updated with future episodes when they are released. And please share this podcast with anyone you know who it might help. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you lots of love and light and above all else, wishing you well. You are brilliant. Keep shining. Stay safe, Sandy.